0: Hey everybody time for another space junk this week it was just me and Dustin we got together we had some alone time for the first time in a long time and so we used it to talk about all kinds of stuff that interested us we talked about the 50th anniversary of Apollo we talked about the Starlink satellites that are going up uh, that Elon Musk and SpaceX are, are in the process of launching now with the idea of, of providing global internet to everybody but we were wondering is this going to affect amateur astronomy and our night sky and the images that we take through our telescope so we talked about that and a whole bunch of other stuff and we are also going to be doing some traveling uh, coming up this coming year so we hope you'll reach out to us and give us some ideas on where we should be going in our travels so hope you enjoy this episode let's go ahead and get started in telescopes and accessories okay we're back hey everybody and uh it's just hey it's just me and dustin today so you out there dustin
1: yeah man we don't get uh we don't get a whole lot of alone time
0: i know man it's <laughs> like here we are I, I know this feels like special to me you know i just i don't want to i don't want to like mess it up but, you i know. know i've been really looking you, forward to this it's like <laughs> yeah. you know,
1: in a few weeks i got a little alone time here with tony yeah. All right. Yeah, we've been,
0: so we, yeah, we we have a lot of great guests. I mean, for sure. I just uh we just posted the one with Travis from uh when we recorded last week and uh man, that was one of my favorite ones, you know. I really like that. I really like talking to Travis, he's awesome.
1: Yeah, every every time he ever shows up, it's like that, you know. I mean, I'm glad that we got to do that on the podcast because that's just who that guy is, you know. And and I agree, everything he says is inspiring, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's really
0: great. It is. Yeah. And, uh, I always I always come away feeling good, and also with Cat Machen too when she's on, I feel the yeah. same way. So we've talked to some great people, but today it's just me and you. And uh, I don't know. I guess the agenda here is a little bit free form, but you know what? This is a big week, and. Uh, If you care about space travel, if you like the Apollo program, this is a big week for people. Uh, This is the 50th, I can't believe it, it's the 50th anniversary of the launch mission and then landing of the Apollo 11 spacecraft back in 1969. We went to the moon, and wow. I gotta tell you, man, I'm feeling really old.
1: Well, I was gonna ask, what was it like watching uh, black and white TV? You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And not only that, but you have black
0: and white TV, but you also had three channels to choose from. I mean, it was like, yeah. you know, well, you, you didn't even need a remote, um, <laughs> but, but yeah, it was, it, it was funny. I mean, we did have black and white TV and, uh, it, it's funny because so many people I've seen this, uh, with people who've shown me who talk about this time period and then were there, everybody started taking pictures of their television set and what they ended up getting, especially if they had the, you know, they were, they were hoping to get the pictures of the astronauts on their TV, but when they had the flash on, all they got were pictures of their television. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was
0: hilarious because I, you know, I met a guy who showed me like, I said, why do you have, he showed me a big box of pictures. I'm like, why do you have like 50 pictures of your TV? And he goes, oh, that was supposed to be the... (laughs) The, Apollo Eleven moon landing, <laughs> but I had the flash on. Right? Like
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny though. this TVs used to be. I remember even growing up, just going to you know f- uh, friends of the family's house. The TVs were huge, and they were like so deep and just heavy. You couldn't even put some of these things <laughs> oh, like in God. the back of a truck, you know. Yeah, and, and, and um, they were they were high voltage too. They had a lot yeah, of voltage going. But on. it was like a status symbol you know, to have like, like the bigger, the TV, you know, the, the better off the family was doing, not just not, it, it was nothing about the picture. It's like, how big is this thing? Just massive. <laughs> how much does I it know. weigh?
0: Well, it was a piece of furniture for sure. I mean, it was this yeah. encased in all this electronics encased in a big wooden box that you set up and it needed to match your decor somehow. And I don't know, looking back on it, they were big and clunky. Now they're kind of cool in a retro way, but, uh, Yeah, they were a piece of furniture. And nowadays we have these LED TVs and or LCD TVs. And all we want to do is just minimize them as much as possible so that all we see is just the whatever it is we're looking at. You want the viewing area. So we try to make them less of a piece of furniture now. Now they're more of a picture frame, if anything.
1: Right. But uh, well, this is perfect, man, because you're you're the news guy. You know, you're delivering space news and uh, kind of your spin on it. All the time, you know, for uh, outreach and education. And I don't pay attention to the news at all. I'm so buried here with everything we have going on. I, I can't tell you the last time I even turned on the news or just went to a new site online with anything. Right. So yeah. let's talk about some of this stuff going on, because honestly, it'll be the first time I'm hearing about a lot of it, probably. Okay, well,
0: everybody's all been, uh, I said, I was about to say, been out of shape, but everybody's really excited about the uh, 50th anniversary of Apollo. And that's uh, what everybody's celebrating now. And it's been, you know, I've been following some of this. I mean, CBS has rebroadcast their entire, or they're currently rebroadcasting their entire broadcast over the course of the mission now, if you watch it on YouTube. And that's been kind of cool. I've been going in and out with that. But um, yeah, that's that's probably the big thing happening this week. And I got to tell you, this stuff makes me feel really old because I'm 57, I'll just say it. So I was seven years old 50 years ago, and I was a little kid sitting in front of the TV, watching it uh, with my dad. And, and my mom didn't really care about it very much. So she wasn't around. And my sister was really little. She was she didn't care either. So just me and my dad. And the best memory I have of it is is just waiting forever. I mean, it just seemed like it was going to take forever for, for Neil Armstrong to get out of that lo- lunar lander and start walking down the... Uh, the ladder, but it turns out it wasn't as long as I remember it. Now that I, you know, look at some of the footage, it wasn't quite that that long as it seemed when I was a kid. But um, that's what's that was one of the things that started me on this. I mean, I was, as I said in the last podcast with um, with Travis, it was I was a pretty young kid when I decided I wanted to get into astronomy, and so this was one of those things that really bolstered that that interest. And of course, everybody wanted to be an astronaut in at this time period and so I, you know, I wanted to be that too, but it, it really kind of transformed into more of the stars and planets and learning about these things and actually going there. So it was a, it was a pretty big time, big, big influence on my life.
1: It may be the single greatest achievement of humanity
0: to date. Yeah. I mean, what can we, I mean, there's, there's lots of medical advances, there's lots of, uh, lots of other things we've done. And, I don't know. It's, it's pretty big. It's definitely way up there going to the moon. I just wish we had done it in a way that was more sustainable because obviously the way we threw resources at it and the way we spent all this money on it, it uh, wasn't something we could keep up, but there were supposed to be more launches than we actually had, but the funding ran out pretty quick after we got to the moon.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it may have been that, you know, we just decided to do it so early, right? I mean, doing it without any computers anything close to what we have today yeah and um so you i don't know that there was an option but to just throw resources at it to just like force it into existence and make it happen you know i mean it (laughs) it was it was a right at the edge of impossible when it happened.
0: It's right, and we had and it had to, a lot of stuff had to be invented and and developed so that we could get there. But I recently learned, and this is something I did not know. I was reading a book uh, that I'm doing for review, and uh, this it was all about the Apollo missions in general, and. While John F. Kennedy is the one that supposedly got, well, he did get it all started with his speech at Rice University. What I did not know was that after he got that ball rolling, he actually wanted to get back out of it. He did not want to go to the moon. He thought that he was looking for ways to get out of it. And I didn't know this. It was uh, it was something that because it had taken on a life of its own with the race against the Soviet Union and the optics of it would be so great that he was convinced to stay on it. But he was trying up until he got assassinated to find a way out of going to the moon. So it's, it's interesting to think you know about that. And if he had not been shot, would we have actually gone to the moon? Because his will, his motivation for doing it died pretty quickly um, after he started it. And so, but but it's got to be a,
1: it's got to be a daily, daily struggle though. You know, honestly, you think about as the president, your job is to take care of the country and you've got this great, I mean, it may be the single greatest achievement of humanity ever. And we get to put the American flag on the moon if it happens, but you know, you also got to consider everything else that goes into running the country and making sure that it's, you know, healthy and, yeah. uh, yeah, I bet it was a daily like crisis for him existentially. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, he had quite a few
0: for sure. And then ultimately the big one, but, uh, it was it was uh, interesting to read that. I did not know that he was actually looking for a way out of getting us to the moon once he had made that speech, but it's a good thing we went. And it and of course it turned into a, a motivate his assassination turned into a galvanizing focus for all of us to, or for the American people at the time to keep going, and so we did. And 50 years ago, we did it. And I don't know. This is every July. I always, you know, do something to remember Apollo. It's just whether I go down to Kennedy Space Center for a day, or just, you know, read a book or whatever it is. So this year's kind of cool. So that's a big thing that's going on this week as well. So, this
1: this whole thing has had me thinking about our our dinner with uh, Don Pettit. You know, yeah, that's just, right. That's right. The astronaut. Yeah, well, we, we got to ask him a lot of these questions about what it what it means to go to the moon, what it really takes, you know, the risks that are involved that you don't think about. Because, you know, as he was describing, he's like, once you get outside of the protection of the magnetosphere of the Earth, which you are outside of that going to the moon, right, you you take on – I mean, you're, you're kind of playing a game of Russian roulette just hoping for the best that you don't get hit by anything, that the radiation doesn't kill you, that you're not getting hit by a blast from the sun, you know, or – Whatever. But um, he said it's a a very scary proposition to to make that trip way, way out there all the way to the moon and back. And that's why
0: I'm not such a big fan of what Elon Musk is trying to do with getting us to Mars, because he just wants to get there and get it done, get it. And I, 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 on the one hand, I get that. I understand the impatience, but I'm a big fan of what NASA's trying to do with the gateway and the gateway. If you have, if you haven't heard about what it is, is this structure they want to put around the moon that will orbit in, in, in the moon uh, orbit. And it's a platform where we can test technologies. We can send modules there and, and test different rockets or, you know, uh, life support systems, whatever it is. and, it is, I think, vital to do that because it's outside the magnetosphere. As great as the ISS is, and that's where Don Pettit went, right. uh, as great as that is, we, it's in, it's it's protected within the Earth's magnetosphere. Yeah. And so this is, you know, this is well outside. But it has the advantage that it's only three days away. So if something goes wrong, and it will go wrong, then we can. We can minimize the the risk to life or by its close proximity. Things go wrong on the way to Mars, you're looking at a year at least before anything can happen. So this is uh, this I think is a very important thing to develop. And I'm a big fan of it, but most people don't like it because it, it they it, you know the moon is boring they don't want to go to the moon they want to go they want to go straight to mars and and i actually think we need to do the moon first and so i was at a uh, conference last week in cleveland where i met uh, charlie bolden oh, he was a he's an astronaut and a former administrator of nasa and he gave a speech that said going to the moon is going to mars and i think that is exactly the right sentiment So by going there, by getting experience uh, outside of the Earth's magnetosphere, by building technologies that's going to get us safely inhabiting the moon, we can easily use to get to Mars.
1: It does seem like it would make a lot of sense. You know, it's just like the ISS was the appropriate first step, but I'm not sure that the appropriate second step is Mars, you know. Yeah, I know. It, Do you go from that a, all the way? You know, what a leap, right? I mean, yeah, it is, it is, and there's so much that can be done, and and I mean, it really does come down to understanding even just the human body outside of the protection of the earth. It, everything changes, you know.
0: Yeah, because Don was telling us. Remember the the story about the you know this this mysterious thing that happens with the retina. There's there's right? something that they don't know what's going on, but it causes the retina to separate. I believe,
1: um, and only in one eye, and in and men. only in one eye. That's right, so, and it's always the same eye, and it's only in men. You know, that's that's so weird. But these are the kind of things we don't know what we don't know.
0: Yeah, that's a good case in point, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and so I mean, Don said you know he felt the same way. It's like, well, take the appropriate steps, and you'll you'll get the job done. And I think that that uh, rationale holds. It's it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I'm
0: uh, not a lot of people don't agree with me. I get a lot of flack for it, but I think that the lunar gateway is is a good plan. And, you know, you have to understand also NASA has to they have to always be ready for when the climate changes, when the I don't mean climate change, I mean, political climate changes, uh, because they they don't they're going to be told next month to do something else. And so whatever it is they're working on, they need to put resources in something that can shift with the political winds. And so this is another good example of what they can do.
1: Well the other side of that though is if if SpaceX lines up the rocket and they're ready to launch this thing to Mars, I'll be the first one to be right there so excited man that it's happening you know so I, I think that you know if if I were planning the strategy, I'd want to take safer steps but if they just do it, I mean I'll, I'll be just as excited as everybody else see what happens yeah,
0: yeah it will be a definitely a tense time and i you know with all of my talk i will be too i'll be right there in the front row watching elon musk yes yeah. to mars but uh yeah. i'll be holding you're, my
1: breath. <laughs> you're, all, you're gonna be in the front row what is it this weekend right going to area 51 to storm it are you gonna be yeah there?
0: i'm there man i'm gonna do it <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny i read that headline it's like a million people are like ready to go storm area 51 and the air force is like all right come on yeah (laughs) Yeah. go ahead come on man yeah (laughs) we'll we'll
1: see you there (laughs) yeah i will we
0: will be ready
1: (laughs) Uh, yeah i don't i don't know how that stuff gets started but i have seen (laughs) it everywhere the internet man it's all about the internet i've had people messaging me are you going to be out there you headed to area 51 and i'm telling everybody yes absolutely i'll be there i'll be right behind you (laughs) yeah Yeah, i'll be there don't look for me there's gonna be a lot of people but i'll be there yeah yeah, i'll be there i'll be right there
0: (laughs) well where is it anyway it's in nevada right somewhere in nevada
1: yeah, I think. I, I think so. I don't know. I don't I don't, I don't pay much attention it to it, honestly. I mean, yeah, it's not the only it's, it's not the only classified US base, man. I mean, this stuff is every yeah. You know, and if it really were somewhere they were keeping aliens, at this point, don't you think they'd move it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> they've got every single gas station on the way there has alien (laughs) stuff all over it why would they just
0: move it to another one yeah go ahead man there ain't no alien in here oh boy that is funny though well a million people so i think if a million people sign a petition on the internet what does that equate to maybe uh half dozen people show up so <laughs> there'll I be mean, one or
1: two guys you know yeah, there'll
0: be a couple of guys in their yeah. in their green masks and uh, t-shirts yep. going uh, let us in let us in
1: yeah we demand to be
0: seen the inside exactly. oh god no i won't be, i won't be doing that i don't
1: No, there there will be the you know there will be a few people I think probably show up thinking this is a serious thing and, and try to make something happen, but it will, um, I don't think that this is probably the most vote- motivated group of people in the world. Going after something like this, so it probably won't be effective. Oh well, it's just so easy to join these petitions.
0: I mean, you go to the website and you go, "Yeah, man, watch this." I mean, that's how Bodie yeah. McBoatface yeah. got voted as the most popular boat name for a serious research vessel, right? Some, some, you know, Yahoo types in, "Oh, I'm going to type in Bodie McBoatface and see how many votes." Of course, it gets voted all the way up, and and they're going, "You know what? We're not picking Bodie McBoatface." <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, it's like that. You, it's so easy to do this stuff and actually. To, but to follow up with action, that's just not who we are in this day and age. We're going to be like, what? Well, I got to actually go there? No, man. I was going to hope so. Is somebody going to live stream it? Somebody on Twitch, man. They'll be there. I'll... <laughs>
1: Is somebody going to live stream it?
0: <laughs> somebody will live stream, man. I'm just, yeah. just going to watch the live stream. <laughs> put, some, put some emotes out, you know, in support. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. Everybody will have reasons to. They're like, bro, I was going to go, man. But, uh you know, this thing had happened. But this Twitch guy, man. He was really good. I just I just emoted him, man. It's like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) emoted. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly,
0: exactly. Oh, jeez. Uh, well,
1: what else is What else is going on in space, right?
0: Now? Well, okay. There's so there's one thing I'm doing right now on Space Fan News, which is actually kind of cool, and that is that Russia has gotten back into the space astronomy business, and they have launched last Saturday. They launched the Specter RG uh, mission, which is a X-ray telescope that is going to be in the forefront of X-ray astronomy, and they've done it with uh, Germany, and the, there's two. Uh, with ESA and uh, Roscosmos, these guys have launched this thing up and it's been, it, it's really great. It's on the way, it's a space telescope that's its uh, gonna rival the Chandra X-ray space telescope that NASA currently has. And it's going to map the entire universe in X-rays eight times uh, in the first four years. It's just gonna scan the entire universe in X-rays and then it's going to map out where it sees all the hot gases throughout the universe and then it's gonna, use that information to try and get an idea of where all the dark matter and dark energy is so that's pretty cool uh, that that just launched and they, they should be taking data here in about a month or so so
1: so every um I mean what what's the point of the x-ray searches like is it to break into like the core and the places that we can't see behind dust and other yeah. Is that yep. is that it is that the only benefit?
0: Well, they, to see the hot gas in the universe, it's going to be all the the really um, high energy uh, photons that are that are everywhere. And what what they're hoping to see is like a hundred million galaxy clusters. They're going to see all of the galaxy clusters in the universe, all of them uh, over a certain mass size. And they didn't I didn't happen to find out what that was, but they're going to see every single galaxy cluster there is, uh, and the the hot gas that connects it all and by looking at that especially looking at it over time they'll be able to build up a map that shows how where the dark matter is because it'll follow those filaments of the galaxies and the hot gas and it'll tell us what dark energy is doing by looking at how those filaments change so it's it's kind of a big deal i mean scanning the entire universe isn't easy and they're right. going to do it eight times and so but, <laughs> so they and they and they hope to find a million plus black holes that are hidden in, in distant galaxies. So they plan to do a lot of cool stuff.
1: So how, how does a, an x-ray survey work though? Because it can't just be like, like the, uh, you know, the visible light surveys and even infrared, you know, when they're doing such high energy surveys, how, I mean, how did even the detectors, I, I can't imagine how these detectors I know.
0: function. I know it's- Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's really complicated. I mean, you and I know by using the telescopes that we have that, you know, by using mirrors and lenses, we can bend light to do whatever we want and visible light. And even infrared light, that's pretty straightforward. You just put a mirror up that's reflective of those wavelengths and boom, you're, you're focusing the light. You
1: change the coating, and that's it. And then you've got, that's right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. And so we're used to that, but in x-rays, as we, anybody who's gone to a doctor's office knows, they don't like to bounce off things. They like to go through things. So how do you build a mirror that will reflect an x-ray photon and that's the problem and so what they do is they make these huge really super long tubes meters long and they they mount them inside of each other in concentric tubes and so what happens is all they can hope to do with an x-ray photon when it hits this long tube on the inside is to maybe bend it a little bit glancing Uh, They call it uh, grazing incidence uh, reflectors. And so they get a photon that's coming in at a slight angle and they bounce it off at another slight angle off of this tube. And by doing that, they're basically concentrating x-rays. They're not really focusing them. They're just sort of gathering them
1: up. And that's how they do it. You collect enough of them. It tells you concentrations and use those concentrations to develop an Mm -hmm. image. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. You know, I'd imagine people listening right now like, oh, man, they're going to be shooting x-rays into the universe. Like, we're going to piss off every alien out there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just x-ray washing. It's a big x-ray
0: gun. (laughs) Except that we're not shooting them out. We're collecting the ones that are already in the universe and are already going through everything. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But again, that's where the magnetosphere comes in. That's where it helps us out. We're protected from all that stuff. But yeah, it's, uh, who knows? Maybe maybe there's an alien, probably not at Area 51, but somewhere out there shooting x-rays in a hope to be seen. So this would be a good, this would show up on this telescope. So... Here's hope.
1: It's such an amazing thing how much the magnetosphere, um, I know this isn't space news, but you know, it's, it comes up in conversation all the time with, you know, it even came up with Don when we were talking to him, you know, but, Mm -hmm. um, just how much it actually is responsible for all of life on earth, you know, all the protection Mm -hmm. it provides everyone without it, none of this happens without a North and South pole on, uh, this planet. You know, without it being magnetic and creating this sphere of protection around us, nothing survives, man. That's right.
0: And the early, the early solar system was full of a lot of this high energy radiation from the sun when it was first forming. Without that, life just gets zapped. I have a friend who says, and he he back, I had a hangout with him on this. He works at Fermi Lab, and he said that he believes. That the, the, the great filter, the thing we were talking about with Fraser a little bit about life in the universe and what can stop a major civilization, he said he believes that the answer is in gamma ray bursts. He thinks gamma ray bursts destroy civilizations and they do it by even overcoming. They're so strong that it would that one near us and, you know, in, near us in our in our galaxy could overcome the magnetic field and destroy everything. That's how powerful they are. So, and they occur somewhere in the universe about once every year or so. So, they're quite common. uh, But, and he thinks that this is one reason why we haven't seen any civilizations is that camera ray burst. So, you're right. Without this magnetosphere, we die. With high energy radiation hitting us, we die, which is, I guess, I'm more pessimistic than most about going to Mars for that reason, right? I mean, we just have never done it before. We, you know, we got to shield really, everything.
1: It's really, really rolling the dice, you know? And, and so if you ever want to, if you want to go outside to any of the listeners, you want to go outside and you want to see your life being saved and everyone you know's life being saved, go far enough north in the winter or south. Right. And, um, mm-hmm. watch the skylight up with the, like the Northern lights, watch that happen. That is the magnetosphere protecting you. That is all of that is that those high energy particles getting pushed to the North and South pole and literally lighting it up with all of that energy. And that is your yep. life being saved when that happens. <laughs> yep. <laughs>
0: have you ever seen them uh, in, in person?
1: No, no, no. I'm supposed to go this year. Yeah. And I'm yeah, i a talk either. about it, but, uh, no, it's, I never have, but I want to get out there and do some photography of it.
0: Yeah, when I was living in Colorado, there was a when we were at Solar Max, some of the solar storms had reached down into the forty degree plus latitude, but I didn't see anything. Uh, but so depends on how active the sun is too, and is whether you see them. But uh, I've never seen it either.
1: I've heard that they can get uh, that they they get so you know so big and so so much so active that uh, even in central California, people have seen them. Yeah,
0: that's right, that's right. Well, do you know what latitude you are at down? I am at in- thirty three. That's okay. So you're actually pretty far north. You're you're farther north than I am. I'm at like 23, I think, where I'm at. So I wouldn't ever see them. And and when I was in Colorado, that was 40. So, yeah, that, I've I've heard it that it gets down to about mid latitude in California, or certainly around 40 degrees. So yeah, but that that takes a pretty active solar storm to get it down that far. Yeah. But yep, that's it. That's visual proof. That's evidence. I want to talk. I want to ask you a question. Now that we're on the subject of the night sky and looking up, one of the things that's also been in the news recently that I wanted to talk to you about, because this affects amateur astronomy, this affects us as amateurs when we go out, is Elon Musk, again, is uh, doing a great many things. <laughs> He's a busy guy. And one of the things he wants to do is give the world internet access, which I think is a great goal. I mean, I love that idea. And he wants to do it by launching a network of satellites uh, in low earth orbit, about 500 or so kilometers up. And the idea is to launch enough of these satellites that link together that cover the the globe in internet coverage. The problem is he wants to launch 12,000 of them. In low Earth orbit, and that makes a lot of astronomers nervous. Professional astronomers nervous because they're like, "Whoa, hang on now! It's already bad enough trying to look through all this space junk—the <laughs> namesake of our podcast—as it is. What you're you adding 12,000 more satellites to this is like insane. Are you crazy? So a lot of them are really right. nervous about it. Yeah. I don't know. I just wanted to get your thoughts on it. Do you, do you think it'll make much of a difference to us one way or another, as far as amateurs go?
1: So, um, yes and no. And I, I say that because amateurs are doing real science now, you know, are, are responsible for a lot of the science that's happening. Uh, so for them, yes, because you know, it matters. Every, every photon in those images matters. And you know, you're really trying to get the best data you possibly can. And I can tell you, I just pulled an image off the most sensitive, uh, camera i've ever used so sensitive in fact that i i had to send it to three people and uh the image to three different people and say can you help me figure out a new way to process i can't process this image it's got too many stars in it you know like wow really i mean it's 50 megapixels 50 million pixels and i'm telling you there's not a spot on this image where there's not a star there's not wow. a single spot. And so what happens is it looks like a wall of white, a wall of white stars, you know, and you can tell that they're varying and that they are stars, you know, they're points, but it's just, it, everything comes out looking grayscale because you can't find anything, you know, that... Where were you looking, the center of going? the galaxy
0: or where were you? Uh, yeah, where, where well,
1: pointed? pretty, pretty close. So it was the Crescent Nebula, you know, up oh, by... Okay. Yeah, exactly. That whole area is just so dense, but um, the only image I have that I can really do anything with is my hydrogen data because it, you know, obviously doesn't get as much star detail and, um, you know, the nebulae shows up and I mean, it's, it's intense. So with something like that, if I'm shooting luminance and just collecting all the light I possibly can, all of those satellites are going to be showing up there in a, you know, a lot of detail, just streaks across the image. And Right now, I think I had 140 images and I bet out of that 140, I bet I probably had 20 images total, total that didn't have satellites in them already. And you think about that's that's now, that's before all of this happens on that scale. So for pretty pictures, it just doesn't matter. I don't even think about it because the algorithms that are run in my processing or for pre-processing just eliminate it. They say, oh, this isn't in the other, you know hundred images it doesn't belong here and it just takes out that one streak and for each image so the algorithm will run and it'll just eliminate all the satellites and airplane it'll eliminate all of that so it's not a big deal but that's for pretty pictures you can't just throw away data when it's science
0: that's right. That's right. So what, what a professionals do is they, when they get a cosmic ray hit or they get a satellite street like that, they will dither the telescope. They'll move it around a little bit and expose those pixels to data that they're trying to actually measure and hopefully get rid of all that other crap when they remove it and still not lose any data. But the, wherever the, the in the image where the satellite went through, that's that's toast. That's hosed. Yeah. You're not going to be able to calibrate that out. Right. So. And so, wow. So 140 images and only about 20 were clear. would did not have satellites in them.
1: Yeah. It, it was just, um, and I was running short images too, but yeah, I mean, it's such a wide field. So this chip is huge, man. It's like imaging with a Frisbee, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's this big, uh, medium format. So it's twice the size of full frame, you know, full frames already a huge chip. And yeah, what yeah. it is, is it's twice that size. So it, it even has to read out as two separate chips. It's only one chip, but it would take forever to read it out as one. So it reads out as two. And so when I get my images, there's like this big line down the center and they're exposed differently, you know? And so like this processing has been <laughs> has been very, very interesting. I think I'm finally getting it, but you know, I, I found data that is better than my ability is to process it, you know? And so it's it's been a lot of fun trying to figure this thing out. And I'm, I mean, whenever this image is done, it's going to be absurd I've never seen so much information on an image in my life but yeah I've probably got um, I've probably got 60 hours on that one frame at this point and I'm doing a four panel mosaic of that so yeah it'll be a 200 megapixel image before you know doing any of the processing tricks to increase resolution so it'll be a monster image but it the processing has been an absolute nightmare
0: yeah well uh, so the, and, and you needed to find a way to do what with the stars? What were you trying to do with the stars? Just get them
1: well. The the problem is down or what? So we, you know, I shoot monochrome. You've done a lot of this, but yeah. you know, when you shoot monochrome for people that haven't, you shoot red. You put a filter over the camera, so the camera is it's exactly that. It's monochrome. It's not detecting color. It doesn't have it doesn't have filters over each of the individual pixels you know, designating color because if it did, you would lose the light that is hitting, like if it's red and it hits the green filter, then you lose that light and you want to get all the light you possibly can. So you just shoot monochrome and you put one big filter over the whole thing and say for this period of time, I'm only going to collect red light and then next I'm going to do green and then blue and you just put a ton of time in doing that. And then at the end, you combine those three channels and it gives you a more true color image than shooting a color camera would. It's actually truer color because it's not, there's no interpolation. It's not guessing at what right. it where. And so you have this true color image that, you know, gen- generally the colors pop and everything looks great. The problem with an image that has so much data, so many stars is that when you do that, everything comes out white in the space <laughs> behind it comes out black, you know? And so- there's not room for a lot of this color to be in the image and so it looks it's like hints of red here and there like in the crescent itself and i've never seen an image do it i mean i've processed you know 500 And this images. is all with the
0: same exposure time in all three filters yeah at, at a level that what fills the wells maybe halfway there that you, yeah you're about, yeah probably about yeah. halfway So Uh,
1: it's just, uh, I'll send you the image, but I'm telling you, man, I zoom in (laughs) to the point where you can see pixel level and it's just, there are no places in the sky that it's not just a star there. It looks like they're touching each other. It's so incredibly dense. I almost wanted to just post the image like that, even though it wouldn't be a pretty picture, just post it and say, did you you know there are this many stars in our galaxy alone? And this is the tiny section of sky, you know? Yeah. Because it's it's incredible just seeing that image with all those stars in one tiny spot. And what size telescope are you using? Uh, is it the the uh, it's uh it's, no no. This one's one of my babies. This is an old oh, okay. t- Pentax refractor. Um, oh okay. You know from like the late eighties or early nineties. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, this thing—it's just a big camera lens. But I love it, man. And it—it it has a huge <laughs> image circle, so I can put monster chips on it. But yeah, this—I'll send you the image. It's—it's it's yeah absurd. yeah.
0: Definitely. Well, so it's, um, yeah, I, I I guess with the, uh, what was those? When I, I'm, I don't know much about CMOS cameras. You're the one teaching me about those. Uh-huh. And there's this matrix, what's that matrix called? That's over the yeah. chip. It's got the different, it's got the different filters already built into the chip.
1: Right. So color cameras. Yeah. I guess you wouldn't have had any experience because they never use them with science. They always use monochrome for the stuff you were doing. Um, yeah. So the, the color cameras, it's CCD or CMOS, but color cameras in general, like even your Canon or Nikon, they use the same exact thing and it's called a Bayer matrix. Bayer
0: matrix. That was the word. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's just a repeating pattern of filters over every individual pixel that then is processed inside your camera and says, this is what the color should look like. And it gives you a color image.
0: So for those of you who don't know, like what Dustin was doing with taking three different images at three different colors at the exact same exposure time, and that is also important. If you looked at those three side by side, you might see that one of them is very dim while the other one is very bright and the third one might be somewhere in between. That just means whatever it was that was being imaged had very little of the one filter and a lot more of the other two filters. And when you add them up, you get the color that you get. So it's a good way of seeing the true color or measuring the true color of whatever it is, the photons that are coming out. So, But I guess this this other way of doing it is you're taking one image, but it's it's being this, somehow the filters are being cycled through and you end up with one image that's already in color, right? You can't separate those yeah. out, can you?
1: <clears throat> so they're not actually being cycled through. It's just every single pixel has a filter that's permanently attached to it. And so imagine oh, this repeating, repeating pattern of red, green, green, blue, red, green, green, blue over and over again. And then it just, that pixel can only ever pick up red light or green light it can never ever pick up blue or green right and so yeah and then it guesses it says well red hit these four spots it had to be somewhere in between as well so let's guess i see and that's what it does but that's how all of the cameras work i mean that's how you know your nikon you go pick up somewhere that that's exactly what it's doing and it, it produces beautiful images. And honestly, it takes a lot of the pain out of it. No filters, no filter wheel, no software to run. I mean, it just does it right there in camera. It gives you a color image. Yeah
0: you sold me on these CMOS cameras. I can't wait to try one out. They, uh, mm-hmm. I, I think they're definitely come a long way earlier. They were just noisy and I just, I didn't hear, I didn't hear very many good things about them, but uh, apparently that's I, all changed. So.
1: I still use the the science camera. I still use the monochrome stuff. I just, I like it. I'm so used to the filters at this point And I, um, I like, you know, the idea that I'm not losing 70% of my data, you know, but, the truth is like a lot of the the images I'm seeing coming from color stuff is it's every bit as good. It really is. People are producing amazing images with these color cameras. Yeah.
0: Well are you are you worried at all about this stuff? I mean, this these these satellite trails coming through. Um if, if this if this program that Elon Musk is trying or I should say SpaceX is trying to do, then we're looking at twelve thousand more satellites in orbit. Now, I was just looking this up before we started the podcast, but according to NASA, it's currently tracking about half a million pieces of space junk. Okay, that's what's currently in orbit around the Earth. You know, most of these are tiny little pieces of shrapnel or, you know, just uh, literally pieces of Junk, Maybe a bolt or something like that flying through there. So they're pretty small and would never be seen by our telescopes anyway. But a lot of it is pretty big. But the 500,000 pieces uh, are of a size of a marble or larger. That's what they're currently tracking. But they're also saying there's millions more that can't be tracked. So. You know, right. But the stuff that can be could be pretty problematic. I mean, we're looking at tens of thousands of stuff that, that that's currently up there. And we're going to add another 12,000 up there that are that are not just space junk, but these are bright, reflective satellites with solar panels. Astronomers, I've talked to the ones I've talked to are worried, but they don't they say we just need to wait. <laughs> Let's just see what these uh, what these 60 are like that that. Um, that SpaceX just launched with the last Falcon Heavy. So, in the last Falcon Heavy launch a couple of weeks ago, they launched the first sixty of these, and they are in contact with all but just a handful of them now. I think so. They're they're testing it out. They're working, and and so sixty are up there now. The FCC has given them permission to have I think six hundred uh, total up there, and then after that, they're going to phase in the full twelve thousand if they can. So. Astronomers are worried, but they're also going to just, you know, they're doing some math and they're saying, well, gosh, you know, there will always be something in our field of view above this latitude if if all of these 12,000 get launched. And so for science, it's becoming a bit of a problem. So I don't know how you weigh, which is more important. Is it more important that we have our night sky clear and so that astronomers can can do the science and amateur astronomers can take their images without satellite trails, or is it better for everybody to have internet? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know what the right thing is, but.
1: I'm not worried about it. I'm really not. I think it's modern manifest destiny. I think it's an inevitability. It's, there's going to be stuff in space. There's going to be more and more and more of it. And um, I don't think it's going to slow down. I think it's going to speed up and we're in an industry. The reason Elon wants to do this is to solve a problem because he's in this industry and this industry is full of problem solvers and this will just be one more problem that gets solved by you know the smartest minds in the world and you know i think that everybody that's drawn to this industry it's because you know they're problem solvers and they want to know they want to explore they want to think and i don't i don't think that there being twelve thousand satellites up there is going to shut down a hobby or shut down the drive to explore at all i don't think it'll be a Mm -hmm. problem
0: Yeah, I, 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 I don't know, but I, you know, I, you know, it's, it's something that I think about, but I, I guess I'm already pretty protective of the night sky as it is, because as we all know, the, as we went, when one of the reasons we went to Times Square was to prove the point that we could still see something, even though, uh, you know, it's so bright there.
1: Well, let me ask you this. If, um, if you go back in time and you tell the astronomers before we start launching things into space, you say, Hey, we're going to put, I know you like looking into space, but we're going to put 500,000 things up there and then track it, uh, of space debris and all this junk and everything. And, um, what, what will that do to you? People would say, Oh, we wouldn't be able to do any science. I know. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. I hear you. (laughs) They'd be like, Oh my God, you're
0: kidding. Right. We'd we'd never be able to See anything. We're never gonna see catastrophe. Yeah. Yeah, It'll
1: never work. We should stop now. And it's like, okay.
0: I know. Just take a chill. I that's I know I hear what you're saying, and I agree. I just uh I do think about it because you know they're not the only ones wanting to do this because Amazon wants to put about three thousand satellites up, and uh I think Facebook has got its its uh plans on some stuff too. So these guys, while I don't think they're reasons for doing this or all that altruistic. I'm pretty sure this is going to cost us one way or another. There's all this internet. It's still, you know, it's not the end of it. And there's even a company. Did you know this? There's a company who wants to launch so many satellites that they can be arranged in an orbit. I think they're CubeSats or something highly reflective that can be arranged like a sign, a billboard, and actually write words up in space. There's plans for that. There's plans for that. Of course there are. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Somebody, some, some marketing executives like, oh, I know what's coming next.
0: Now I don't care who you are. I'm a big proponent of space for exploration. I love the fact that we, you know, global internet. I'm all for that. But come on, man. I don't need a space billboard. I just don't.
1: (laughs) That you can see from Earth. (laughs) That I can
0: see from Earth. Yeah, up in orbit. I mean, holy crap. Yeah. So yeah, um, that I don't think. I don't think we need to go that far. Okay, so anyway, that so well, it's I mean, there's a lot of stuff to to deal with is, is, is coming up, and I agree that you know so we don't know the impact of a lot of this stuff, but. The night sky is a diminishing resource, and with everything like this that comes along, we should at least talk about it and think about, well, wait a minute, are we, you know what are we sacrificing for this new thing, and is it worth it?
1: You know, what's funny is of all the things to look at in the night sky, one of the best conversation starters when you're out at a star party or just out with friends and you know it's coming over is not the uh, you know, the celestial bodies out there, it's the ISS. You see the sure. ISS going over and you bring that up and you tell people, hey, that's the International Space Station right there. You can watch it mm-hmm. go over. It's going to disappear somewhere halfway across the sky. You know, when you start explaining the whole thing, that excites people. That's a conversation starter. And it's something that gets people thinking about space differently. And it's a human connection to space. Sure. I think that a lot of this stuff is not going to destroy interest. It's going to create interest.
0: And it's not just the ISS. I mean, almost any satellite that you can see. One of the f- people don't look up so much <laughs> that when they do, when when they are at a star party and in a group of people who are looking up, and they start to really examine closely the sky, they start to see things like just any old satellite going over, and they're like, "Whoa, what is that? Do you see that dot? What is that dot?" And I'm like, "Well, that's a satellite. I don't know which one, but it's a satellite." And they're like, "Wow, I didn't know you could see those." And so, yeah, you're right. It, ironically, <laughs> it is what seems to. To get people excited about mm-hmm. something that they've discovered themselves, and it is a human connection. So,
1: Yeah, that, that human connection is important for interest, at least. You know, you're not going to grab everybody with the science. You've got to have something that connects humans to it.
0: That's true, and you made a good point about that last week with this, you know, it's not always about the science. For me, and I'm, and at this stage of my life, like I, you know, like I have told you in the past, it's, it's true for me, too. It's, it's, the science has been great. It's been very illuminating, and I think it's important. But uh, we live in a day and age where you know there's other there's other things to consider now besides just the scientific import. I mean, I, another we're talking about the news. One of the things I was reading about is they're trying to build the uh, thirty meter telescope on Mauna Kea, and they can't get the astronomers can't get to the observatories because protesters have blocked the highway and I know just the highway they're on it's called the saddle road and it's the only it's the only road that links it goes between the two volcanoes Mauna Kea and Mauna Loa and it's the only road that links Kona with Hilo <laughs> and so it's you got to go through there from one side of the island to the other and astronomers make that drive every day or mo- at least every month and then they stay up there for a couple of weeks and so they can't get there because there's, there's protesters coming up because Mauna Kea is sacred it's something very important to them for reasons that have nothing to do with science and so it's an interesting clash between what's the the needs of science versus the needs of, you know, spirituality and what people find emotionally important. And that's a discussion I've been having a lot more lately in my life. So, Uh, yeah,
1: I think it's, I think it's not, I know that a lot of people, you know, would laugh, at least from the scientific perspective would say, yeah, but what is one offering humanity, right? You know, one is offering, you know, exploration and understanding and all of this stuff. And the other is offering, what would be on paper, nothing. And I just don't think the answer is nothing. I think it's a very real yeah. discussion that should be had. You know, I'm not saying, yeah, you're, I'm not you saying you should d- halt progress. I'm just saying it should be considered.
0: And that's why I like to think about these things that, like, you know, going to Mars, putting up 12,000 satellites, you know, being in space, all of this is great and I love it and I support it, but that's not all there is. And we need to think about the effect and the risks and all the stuff that we're doing uh, to uh, get these goals met at what cost, you know, are we, are we going through with these things? And at least with a 30 meter telescope, this is going to be a 30 meter diameter objective and I'm sorry, but that's huge. That's a, it's the biggest telescope we've ever built ever. And will likely be the biggest until the next generation comes along. So, this is uh, there's that plus, well, wait a minute, you're also desecrating a really important area for a lot of people. And you know, is it worth it? I think a, a definite compromise can be struck, but I don't know, I don't understand. Well, actually, I do, because when I think about this, the Hawaiians have gotten, the native Hawaiians have gotten the shaft for quite a while, ever since uh, they became a state. I don't think they would do it again if they had the choice. But, um, yeah, it's it's a big issue that affects astronomers quite a bit. (sighs) Okay, well, I think we've talked that pretty much (laughs) all the way. (laughs) Well, look, I do...
1: (laughs) I don't know why that just got funny, but it did. Um, So anyway, um, yeah. So I want to bring something up because you and I are building out our travel schedule. We've been talking about this over the last few weeks. And I want uh, anyone that wants to give input. I've had a few people message me on Instagram at Gibson Picks. Um, Send me the messages. If you want uh, Tony and I to come through, do the, um, the telescopes on tour in your city. We are building out the schedule right now for the coming year. And uh, when we do that, we bring telescopes. We do it uh, downtown imaging right through the city lights with everyone involved. It's a free event. But um, we want to come. We want to come hang out with you guys and uh, just do the podcast right there from in your city. And it's fun having people around that can bring new ideas and the the discussions never get old. So, um, yeah,
0: man, let's have a star party.
1: Yeah, exactly. But um, we've started building out a few. I know that uh, we've got some travels ahead. We're going to be in uh, Pennsylvania for a talk for um, a nuclear power company here next month. I'll be in Arizona next month. Um, I'll post all of this on my Instagram as well and on the Space Junk Podcast Instagram. Um, I think, Tony, you and I are going to be going to Australia. We've got a few few places we're going to be going. So... Um I'll post everything but if you want us to come through your town definitely let us know because we're looking for cool places to go where there's an interest and in that we can have some fun with you. Yeah,
0: I can't wait. That would be a lot of fun. So definitely uh interact with us. You there you can uh, email us at uh, space junk podcast at spacejunkpodcast@deepastronomy.com. That's one way you can reach us. You I, is the website. What's the status on the website, uh, Dustin, do you know? It, yep, it's space up. Spacejunkpodcast.com there- was up, but I didn't know if I don't know if it has comment ability yet.
1: Yep. It's up. And she's in there uh working on it right now. And uh I saw that the functionality is live, so of the different uh ways to reach out to us. So, you know, but it's all like I'm very active on the Instagram. Um messages. That's probably the easiest thing because there's several of us checking them. So we can get to it very quickly. Um, but yeah, let's, let's find some places to go and have some adventures, you know, and right, and do this and let's share with as many people as we can. Let's get some telescopes going, man. People loved that in Times Square. <laughs> I know that was amazing. That was and really we'll, cool. We'll be back there in October, Times Square yeah. again
0: in October. Yeah, where we'll be, uh, the, the, the alignment of the interesting, uh, objects are going to be more in, uh more in view during that time of the year what did did you hear about Times Square going uh, dark a couple nights ago? Did you hear about that?
1: No I didn't I thought about
0: you then because yeah the power went out I mean oh, Steven would have been... we should we should call Steven Swancote and ask him because he was right there but in certain areas of Manhattan there was no power for several hours on Saturday. And had some some kind of fire with uh, the transformer or substation or something. And Times Square went dark.
1: <laughs> you know, it would have been so funny if it happened the night that we were out there. Because everyone would have accused us of doing it.
0: <laughs> that's right. Oh, they're oh, they're saying
1: they're going to image in Times Square. Yeah, that's one way to do it. As a terrorist shutting down all the power in this city. <laughs> we, so already have... <laughs> get a color we already image. had a hell of
0: a time convincing them <laughs> we weren't terrorists, right? So... <laughs> Yeah. So yeah that would have been bad timing for sure yeah or good timing i don't know we would have right. we definitely
1: would have seen something <laughs> yeah we get a milky way shot from downtown <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah but that yeah that happened on saturday i thought of you too and i was like oh I, I, and Stephen was there i wonder if he took out his uh took out his telescope we should reach out to him see what he did because uh he's right there he's right there in uh tribeca so
1: yeah. Uh, hey, I did, I did have one more piece of news. Did you see Kat Machin's new Kickstarter? No, tell them, tell me about it. All right. So Kat Machin just launched her new Kickstarter. She is doing, um, she's been on the podcast here, you know, multiple times. Yeah. Um, if you haven't listened to those, go listen to a Cat Machen podcast. Definitely. She is, she is one of the most amazing people on the planet and she has more energy and a better energy than anyone I've ever met. It's incredible. But, um, she has her new Kickstarter live and it met the goal. So, Kickstarter usually takes, they give you what, 30 days or something to reach your goal? She met her goal in 29 minutes. 29 minutes. But um, she's doing these huge, you know, she's working on my painting right now, which is 13 feet by 13 feet. Um, and these other ones that are just massive, I mean, they're like, they cover your ceiling. And she took the idea of, I want you know glowing stars on my ceiling, and just made it so much better. They are <laughs> glowing paintings of the Milky Way that attach to your ceiling above, like your bed or wherever you want them. And at in the daytime, it's like a Milky Way photo, and at night, it's glow like everything she paints glows in the dark. But these are actual paintings, and then the same thing with like her canvas paintings and everything. Um, this kickstarter is just incredible you definitely need to check it out i've already bought a bunch of stuff for the office here but um Everything she touches is amazing.
0: It's not doing it justice to say glow in the dark either. There's glow in the dark, which we've all seen those little cheesy things that you could buy at the department store. This is not what we're talking about here. When Cab Machin does this, it is like nothing you've ever seen. The colors are vibrant and when they glow, they are bright. And this isn't like just a typical, like, you know, putting glow in the dark paint on your ceiling. So yeah, Yeah. you got to check it out because this is as an artist, I've never seen anyone like her. We've all, We've all seen these space images, but she just does something to them. There's a, I don't know, there's a dimension to it. I can't describe, but it's just.
1: Yeah. And you, we don't get paid on any of this for for bringing this up or anything like that. It's just Kat is an awesome person. And the thing she's doing. She is she's an awesome doing, artist, yeah. Yeah. It just inspires people to see it. So I really, I, I recommend everybody go take a look at it. I mean, she's doing a chandelier to mock the entire Milky Way that cost her two hundred and fifty thousand dollars you know of all of these fiber optic optic cables holding a 26 foot chandelier that she's giving away to like nasa or somebody you know mm-hmm. just just because she wants somewhere in the world for it to exist where you can go stand in a room look up and see the galaxy you live in and um she's using the esa data to get it as close as possible to the real thing. And it's just like, that's the kind of stuff she does, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I can't wait for that to, not to see that. I did. It, it's stupendous. Yeah. I mean, she's, well, she's really got pictures, a quite a person.
1: She's got pictures of the, the mockups and everything on the new Kickstarter. So go check oh, it out. Okay. Yeah. I need yeah. to definitely go see
0: that. Okay. Yeah. But you're right. We're not, we're not, this is not like we're getting any money for it. It's just, these are, we're just, she's a great friend and we love to talk about her work. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. okay. All right. Well, uh, anything else, Dustin? No, no. I all enjoyed right. my
1: alone time here with
0: you. Yeah, man, it was. You know what? I feel rejuvenated. I feel like I can go out now. It's and, all we
1: needed. <laughs> yeah, no, I,
0: I needed some us time. You know, just to kind <laughs> of it. kind of bond a little bit. <laughs> you no, know? so, so thank you, man.
1: Yeah, lots of travel coming up.
0: It. Yep, that's right. So definitely reach out. Let us know where you want us to go, and we'll talk. Okay. All right. I'll go ahead and close this out now. Uh, on behalf of Dustin Gibson, I want to thank you all so much for listening. And as always, keep